Welcome into Double X Sports, Blaze Radio's only show that features women talking women's sports. I'm Casey Demarest alongside Lauren Hornberger, and here's what's in store for tonight's show. Critical rule changes are coming to the golf world. We'll wrap up our coverage of Arizona State sports. It's the end of the year. That means our year in review show. As always, Woman Warrior of the Week and Tweets of the Week. All this and much more coming up on Double X Sports. This starts right now. Welcome in to Double X Sports. Everyone, that is the last time I will be saying that, which is really sad. This is our last show together. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about the year in review. We're going to talk about um, some rule changes, different things going on in golf, basketball, all types of sports, just like we normally do here on Thursday nights. So let's get right into it. Casey's already looking at me like she's going to cry. We've had this bet of who's going to cry first tonight. Originally we thought it was me, but it might be Casey. No, we'll sorry, see. Me. I, I got this. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Jump right into the sports, which is what we do best here on Double X Sports. We've got some golf news to kick things off. If you guys remember, a couple weeks ago, Lexi Thompson uh, was, basically she lost the tournament because of a four-stroke penalty um, on video review. She uh, allegedly didn't put the ball back in the right place. Well, all of that is going to change. The ruling board came out and said that if uh, rule officials cannot see the um, violation with the naked eye, it doesn't count. So they need to be able to see it just with the naked eye, no, no zooming in with the cameras or anything. If they can't see it, from there, it, it doesn't count. Right. This is huge because that was such a big controversy. Um, now, it's not really known if um, this would have made an effect in that Lexi Thomas um, Thompson situation, but they have um, looked at it and said that it would have helped Anna um, Nordkiss when she had the two-shot penalty that cost her a chance to win the U.S. Women's Open um, last year, and so in that case, it definitely would have affected um, that, and she would have won that if this rule had been in place. So this is something that we've seen, I mean, in the last couple of years. We've seen this on the men's side as well, that this rule is in place, and I think it was about time that they change it. Right. I mean, you said it happened on the men's side as well. Tiger Woods was affected by it. Right. I mean, it, honestly, it's a dumb rule. It doesn't <laughs> happen so often that everyone knows that this is a rule, but it happens often enough that when it does, it's kind of like, really, why is that in place? Kind of like if you think of rules that we don't encounter so often, like there's the double over, the overtime rule in NFL, or like, you know, different leagues have different overtime rules depending on the situation, and like, hey, some games can end up in a tie, and most people don't realize that until like you actually have that happen, and this is what happened in this case, and I think they knew they needed to take that change pretty quickly to keep people into the sport and instead of getting angry at them. I'm glad they just caught it now and not, like, months, years down the road exactly. or something. They made a pretty quick turnaround. They recognized it wasn't working, and they adjusted accordingly. We're going to swift, swift shift from pro golf over to the college side. Uh, it was UCLA to win the Pac-12 Women's Golf Championships behind sophomore Liliana Vu. Um, she uh, led the team uh, Wednesday. They were playing down at University of Arizona, so your UCLA Bruins are the 2017 Pac-12 Women's Golf Champions. Uh, notably, Arizona State did make a run there with the number one ranked Linnea Storm. Um, she shot 
74, 74, and 69 over the course of the tournament, but it was UCLA to take the win. Yeah, and this is UCLA's sixth um, win of all time in their program. This is the first one since 2006 when they had three back-to-back-to-back Pac-12 championship wins. So they haven't really had one in a while, but um, they are one of those programs that we kind of, I mean, they're pretty storied when it comes to college golf. So congrats to them. Moving on, we're going to take it to WNBA. Uh, This is our last show, so we usually go pretty crazy with WNBA, college basketball, all that fun stuff. We do have a lot of really fun news coming out of the WNBA, and we'll start right here with the Mercury. Head coach Sandy Brondello was named Australian Women's National Team Coach. Um, This was uh, about last week, but we didn't talk about it last week. Um, She is taking over the Australian head coaching duties, um, and she's excited to be back in Australia and uh, looking to uh, build the team success. We saw a lot of Australian players mm-hmm. come to the Mercury this offseason, so she'll be able to work with them here, but in the offseason she'll be able to help with the national team. Yeah, and I mean, she was a four-time Olympian with the Australian national team. Um, she played on the silver uh, winning teams in 2000, 2004, and then they won bronze in 96. Um, so she played for 18 years with that team, um, and then also had five seasons in the WNBA before she transitioned to coaching. I mean, she was the 2014 WNBA Coach of the Year. This is a really good pick for Australia. And, hey, I mean, they're looking at the Olympics. U.S. better watch out. I mean, they don't have Gino. They don't have, I mean, not that Don Staley isn't going to be an amazing coach. Um, But this is a really good pick to help kind of bring Australia back into that you know top tier of teams this is a team that's always been right there on the platform though when it comes to right this could just give them that extra level i think it will other news around the WNBA: chini awumake was granted a a multi-year contract extension um this past weekend however she's also suspended for the season and it's not in a bad way right so in 2015, she missed the season recovering from a microfracture in her knee. While she did that, she was taking up a roster spot, even though she wasn't playing. The WNBA does not have injured reserve, as in other leagues, um, which I thought was kind of weird. So... She is recovering from her Achilles tendon surgery this year, so she'll miss the 2017 season. Instead of taking up another roster spot like she did in the 2015 season, she's quote-unquote suspended for the 2017 season. It's not a bad suspension. She's just suspended to free up roster space. Right, and I didn't realize that there wasn't an injury reserve in the WNBA. I'm like, I mean, now that it got mentioned, I, you never hear, like, yeah. so-and-so is on IR because, like, when Penny Taylor mm-hmm. was out this past season, like, she was still on the roster and that kind of thing. But, it, I mean, you were saying before the show, you would think that a sports league would have this. You think it would be kind of necessary in sports, you right? I mean, almost every other league I think has one now I'm like questioning who does and who doesn't have one right but what are I mean I guess my question to you would be kind of is this important enough to me do we have to have that conversation 
Do we need an injury reserve in the WNBA? Is there a reason there isn't one? I think it should be because in the event that someone's missing out on the whole season and a team doesn't want to let go of them, they're still on the roster for the whole year, and you ha- your rosters are capped at 12 players. So in theory, you're only playing with 11 players for the whole season, and something like that did hurt the Connecticut Sun back in 2015. And with a team as young and up-and-coming um, on Kurt Miller's team like this, I think by opening up that 12th roster spot, it'll do the Connecticut Sun some good and increase their chances of making a run in the playoff. I agree. Definitely. Yeah, we might have to investigate. That's your job for next year. Investigate why the WNBA does not have an injury reserve. Double X Sports turns <laughs> investigative. <laughs> okay, next we're going to move on to just a little bit of college basketball news. And yes, it wouldn't be our last Double X show together if we weren't talking UConn. I'm only letting you have this because it is your last show. You understand that, right? Yes, and I thank you for okay. that. Um, I knew I could get away with it today. <laughs> um, so, Natalie Butler will be leaving UConn. She's going to play for George Mason next season. And why the, I think we need to talk about this is this isn't the first time that Natalie Butler has transferred teams. She started off with Georgetown, then went on to UConn. She sat out for a season, played for two seasons at UConn. She's a redshirt junior. She has one year left of eligibility because um, she's going to go for a postgraduate degree. And so she decided to transfer to George Mason for this. Now, Natalie Butler, yes, she might not be a name that any average sports fan would know, but she has helped that UConn team a lot. She stepped in when there were injured players. She stepped in, especially towards the end of games, when they just needed someone, when there was foul trouble. Anytime that they needed her, she was kind of that all-around player that they could go to, and she did some really good things. I guess my my confusion is, why would you sit out or decide to leave a team like that when she was growing as a leader, she was getting more and more opportunities to play, and I was thinking if she did decide to come back that she would be playing, you know, close to a starter position or a starter position. So it's just, I know we sometimes talk about, oh, players decide to leave because they want to be a star at other smaller teams, but she was there. So it just doesn't totally makes sense. And we've been seeing a lot of transfers this year. Definitely. It's not the first time uh, you've seen players transfer out of UConn. I mean, Arizona right. State's got their own. They've got Courtney Eckmark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not common. Is it just because they're not getting the playing time they want? Because you say at any time, like, if you're not a starter at UConn, you could probably go be a starter somewhere else. Yeah. So I was just seeing her as a starter this year. So it's interesting. We'll see how many people keep transferring as this is a trend we're seeing this offseason. That's your job now is to keep me updated on the transfer rates out of UConn. I don't know. And all over the country. All over the country. I'll just anyway. send you text messages to be like, hey, look, this person transferred. That's fine. And Lauren's, Lauren's actually staying in Phoenix next year. She'll just come, like, busting through the, like, sports radio door. Like, she'll know double X's on and be like, this happened! And it's like, Lauren! It actually probably will happen. Oh, Stay no. tuned for that. We're going to shift from basketball over to softball. The National Pro Fast Pitch Draft happened a couple of days ago. Um, your number one overall pick went from the USSA Pride. It was right-handed pitcher Jessica Burrows out of Florida State. Uh, uh, rounding out the set, the first round, the Akron Racers took right-handed pitcher Sarah Gerwig. 
Grograyan from Minnesota. Chicago Bandits took catcher and infielder Savannah Jackwish from LSU. Uh, the Chicago Bandits again took right-handed pitcher Sierra Highland from Cal Poly. And rounding it out, the Texas Charge took outfielder Bailey Landry from LSU. So two players from LSU going in the first round. Unfortunately, no players from ASU went in the draft here. There were a handful of players from Arizona that did go. Right. There were four players from Arizona. Um, three in the second round. You had uh, Katiana Malga uh, went number six to the Texas Charge. Uh, Danielle O'Toole, left-handed pitcher, went to the Chicago Bandits at number eight overall. And then... Um, Alexis Mo Mercado went um, to the USSA Pride at number nine, and then you had one other Arizona, uh, Mandy Perez, went 19th overall to the USSA Pride. It's a pretty strong draft class, but um, kind of disappointed that Chasel Palacios didn't get drafted out of Arizona State. I know. I was really looking forward to that. I love Chasel. Two years in a row where players from ASU have gotten drafted because two years ago it was Dallas Escobedo, last year was Andrew uh-huh. Freeman. So kind of disappointing to not. See her go. Maybe a uh, like free agent contract coming. Yeah. She does have national team obligations, though. I believe she does play for the national team, and with the Olympics coming up, could possibly see her there. I could see her doing that and then trans- transitioning over more into the NPF. Um, I think you know she's one of those players that we will hear of her in the league at some point. It's just maybe not going to happen right away. I wish it was because she is such a great player, but she'll be there someday. Yeah. She's that strong of a player that, you know, she'll be able to show what she has in some form. She would also turn around and be a grad manager for ASU. Yeah, We've seen we, that happen. Yeah. Like Dallas Escobedo is a grad manager there right now. So it is a possibility. Shows their leadership skills really well and kind of that they're still wanting to be in the sport. It definitely does. We'll talk a little bit more ASU softball later on in the show, but for now we're going to round out this segment with tennis. Maria Sharapova is a name we haven't heard in a while. She was facing that suspension, uh, that 15-month doping ban. However, it was lifted, and she defeated Roberta Vinci 7-5-6-3 in the opening round of the Porsche Grand Prix on Wednesday in Stuttgart, Germany. Um, so that was a huge thing, but not a lot of people were excited about that. I mean, Jeannie Bouchard coming out and firing and saying that shouldn't have happened. She should have served, served the whole 15 months. Um, but, I mean, Sharapova was lifted of her ban because if you remember the substance she tested positive for is part of some medication she's taking and the board was made aware of it. It was a whole thing but she was lifted and cleared of this ban so she was allowed to come back and play. Yeah, Roberta Vinci actually said that she paid for her mistake, Sharapova did. Um, She can return to play but without any wild cards, without any help um, and saying that she's good Sharapova is good and important for tennis and for the WTA Um, she's a great person just you know, she paid her time Let's just make sure there aren't any mistakes from here on out is basically what she was saying. Um, yeah, Jeannie Bouchard's comment, you know, is expected from a couple of people. This is the first time we're able to see Sharapova back. She hasn't uh, played in a match since the 2016 Australian Open. Um, so, I mean, you expect some of the players on the tour to have that opinion, and we'll see kind of how this proceeds in the next month, especially as, you know, we continue with these tournaments and see how she can do with that 15th months off. 
Other news coming out of the Grand Prix. Uh, Two-time defending champion Angelique Kerber goes down uh, from Christina Maldovic, um, and she will move on to the quarterfinals. Um, So because of that, Kerber loses her chance to return to number one, and I believe it was Serena Williams to come back into the world number one spot, which was kind of weird to me because she's out of competition for the rest of the year because she's pregnant. Yeah, Serena Williams will hold the spot for the next two weeks, uh, definitely. Um, And then we'll see from there on. But, I mean, Kerber just, she wasn't able to get anything going. It wasn't that this was a tight one. This was Kerber was never in this match. Um, She struggled from the beginning and that, I mean, we've seen her kind of ups and downs in the past year, but that's a little surprising, um, especially she's trying to hold on to that world number one. And it is funny to see how, you know, Serena just put back up there, even though she isn't playing and won't be playing for several months. I mean, it's kind of cool she's at the number one spot, yeah. but, you know. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have your Arizona State sports semester wrap-up before we get into our year in review. And as always, Tweets of the Week, Woman Warrior of the Week, over later in the show. And we've got a very special Lauren's Corner, because it is Lauren's last show. Lauren, start crying, because I'm not going to be the first yet. one to cry. And <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. Keep it here. Welcome back to Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. It's the final show of the semester, Lauren's final show ever. We're talking Arizona State sports. We've got your semester wrap-up. We're going to kick things off with softball. Uh, we were just talking on the break. How does Florida only have three losses still on the season? Yeah, uh, they're ranked number one, uh, 44-3 and three as the record right now. And, I mean, okay, Florida State is 43-43-1, so, I mean, they're not that much off, but... Three losses in a whole softball season. That is hard to do. That's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, And like Lauren said, Florida State is the number two spot. You have Arizona, University of Arizona, that school down south, ranked number three. Minnesota's at four. And Texas A&M's at the five spot. Rounding out your top ten, Oregon, Oklahoma, Washington, Auburn, and Utah. As far as Pac-12 teams that are in the top 25, you have UCLA at number 12 and Arizona State clinging into the top 25 at number 23. They've been playing some really decent softball, honestly. Um, they're getting over. Last season, they really struggled to win games in tournament but or in Pac-12 competition, but also mm-hmm. on the road. Um, right. And they went on the road to beat Stanford the previous weekend. We've seen them get a little bit stronger on the road, um, so I think that's benefiting them really well, and you can definitely see um, what's going on with the new leadership there. Yeah, and I mean, it is hard for them because it's not like you can easily get a break in Pac-12. I mean, they just uh, they had two losses to Utah this past weekend. It's hard to kind of, like, there isn't really those games where you're like, okay, we can relax, we can kind of build up, figure out what we need to do, fix our mistakes here, because each team is pretty heavy hitting. Um, and, you know, we're starting to wind down towards the end of the season. They only are playing three teams left until we're into the um, regionals and the NCAA tournament. You've got at Arizona um, coming up this weekend, then versus Cal and UCLA. So hopefully being at home, because they do struggle on the road, versus Cal and UCLA being at home will be good for them and give them the opportunity to win. Arizona. That's going to be rough. That's we just be said rough. Arizona is number three in the country right now. Yeah. That is not going to be an easy competition. I mean, it is a territorial cup, so anything can happen, but also it's Arizona. Like, this is going to be difficult. It will be difficult. Um, it, it also marks the 198th time these teams will meet. Wow. I didn't 
realize we were that close to 200. Da, da, da. That's cool. They've met every time uh, since 1971. Yeah. And ASU won every match until the 97, until the 74 season. History. Throwback Thursday. History with Casey. <laughs> da, da, da. Some, like, sparkly sound effect. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Other news around the Pac-12, their beach volleyball championships are going on. Uh, today, Arizona State swept Stanford uh, to get things started 5-0. And with that, Whitney Follett earned her 60th career win, making the most win- most career wins out of anybody in the history of the program, which is pretty impressive. Beach volleyball is still a relatively new sport. It just became mm-hmm. NCAA sanctioned a couple of years ago. Right. But, I mean, hey, someone had to take over the career win spot. And who better than Whitney Follett? Um, other news around, uh, UCLA defeated uh, Washington 4-1, to Arizona swept California, uh, USC defeated Utah, Washington took out Oregon, um, and then in the, in the, in the consolation bracket, uh, Stanford took out Utah. Dun, dun, dun. Arizona State is now playing, they're playing right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have that information, I thought I had it up. No, wait, I do. Just kidding. I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, Arizona State is playing against US- USC right now, so those uh, n- those results should be pouring in fairly quickly here. They're still in the winner's bracket. If they move on, they'll move on to the set- to the quarterfinals. Nice. Tap dancing away. Tap dance. That's all I have on beach volleyball. They actually had a really interesting season this year because it was their first year under Brad Keenan. Mm-hmm. Um, they hit a little bit of a slump in the middle part of the season, but I think they really managed to pick it up in the last part here. Um, so excited to see what they can do. It's yeah. Championships. We're going to move on to some tennis now. Um, the Pac-12 tournament is almost here. It's the first time that they're going to be doing a team format in the conference history. So it's a little bit different this year. Um, the Sun Devils are headed there right now. They're 14-6 and then 7-3 in the Pac-12 so far this season. Um, they finished the regular season in third place within the Pac-12, which is their highest finish and their best record within the conference in program history. So they do have a bye for the first round. I think that'll suit them well. This is a team that's played kind of up and down the season. Um, but head coach Sheila McGurney said they're playing well and they ended the season well. Um, and as far as the first Pac-12 team tournament, she said someone's got to win it, so why not the Sun Devils? One of the biggest factors on this team has been freshman Savannah Slaysman. Um, she's been an absolute force for them this season. I mean, just a freshman, she's going to do some pretty great things for them down the line. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then let's round it up with some water polo. Casey? Uh, Water polo is heading into the MPSF championships this weekend. Uh, They will begin play in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a team, they're ranked number four in the country. They have a 19-6 record, and they're 3-3 in the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation. Um, That's, it's a, MPSF is a league outside of the Pac-12 that kind of combines teams from around the region. So a lot of Pac-12 schools do play in it, so um, you hear them talk about it when they talk about ASU lacrosse. Uh, when ASU lacrosse officially plays next year, all those Pac-12 teams that are playing in the MPSF will shift to Pac-12 quote-unquote play. Okay. kind of weird, but it's a thing that's happening. Um, coming off there, or recently, um, 
they've done pretty well and yeah it should be a good weekend of competition for them yeah they are seated fourth in the tournament they're going to start things off against number six overall california who's seated fifth in the tournament um that is 2 30 p.m i believe friday tomorrow um and so then whoever wins that will have a greater chance of going on to the 2017 ncaa championships which happening in may we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have our annual year in review where we get all sappy and sobby and look at how far women's sports have come in the last year. Uh, we've got a lot of good things coming up. You're listening to Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. Keep it here. Welcome back to Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. I'm Casey Demarest alongside last time on air, Lauren Hornberger. Stop saying that. <laughs> She's really trying to make me cry, guys. Cry. cry. It's like in the breaks, I'm like, are you teary-eyed yet? Are you, are you going to cry yet? Anyway, like we said before the break, it's our year in review where we look back and talk about everything that happened over the last, not year, but like our like school year, mm-hmm. I guess. So like... Augusty to April because we're not in May yet, but everything that's happened in that stretch, we go back, we look over all our old show docs and say, What happened? What was crazy? What was sad? What was happy? What was what in the world is happening here? What made us kind of be like, What? Anyway, that is what this segment's all about. It kind of lets us get off the rails a bit, but there's a little bit of guidelines here. A little bit. Um, a little bit. What should we start off with? I don't know. It's your last show. Do you want to pick? <laughs> you can pick something happy or you can pick the obvious. The obvious, which is the first one on our list. Um, <laughs> let's just get it out of the way. You just want to get it out of the way? Let's just get it out of the way. Go okay. for it. So, one of the major... You know, things that happened in women's sports was UConn losing in the Final Four um, of the NCAA tournament. And this was, you know, I mean, I honestly, now that I'm past that, I think when we first went on air, it was hard for me to talk about it. It was. But now that I'm past that, I think that their loss was good for as much as I hate this for getting more people into women's basketball I personally believe that having a team that is that dominant and having that legacy is not a bad thing um I think that's really good for the sport but I know there's a lot of people who believe opposite against that and I think to be able to break that and to give another you know have another team win and show that buzzer beater by Mississippi State have those moments I think that was good to get more people into the sport I also think that you know for UConn's future success they needed to lose I wish it was in the conference tournament and not in the NCAA tournament but they needed that loss as a player you can't go through your entire college career without a loss and be able to be super successful after I mean you kind of need to lose at least once that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even Gino was like, they need to lose, and they need to lose hard, and they need to lose now before we get to conference play, before yeah. we get to March. Because it was going to happen. So something like this doesn't happen, and look what happened. But I think one of the biggest takeaways from that was they passed the 100 mark. Yes. And they, like, who is going to break that record now? I, I honestly don't know if it's ever going to happen. That It takes, like, three years to get that kind of record. Yeah. It's, I mean, what they did with a team of freshmen and sophomores, these players who, they don't know what it means, one, to lose. They don't know what it means to really be, they've just constantly been in this pressure. I mean, you have, what they did is 
honestly like you would write it in a movie script like it just that doesn't happen right and we have to take away that this was one of the greatest teams of all time in all of sports without a doubt yeah no one goes through and wins what was it 112 straight yep that that it takes like three years i mean people were astounded when like golden state went whatever and whatever and they beat the 96 97 bulls record but right still i mean that's still not However, it's not a streak. That's just a record in a season. Mm-hmm. It's not a... You haven't lost in X number of games. Like, who... You haven't okay. lost in so many months or years or something yeah. like that. And that's yeah. just such incredible pressure. Is there anything else you want to add about UConn? I would like to say that... 20 seconds. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I just... I, I am excited for their next season. I think it's going to be um, one that, you know, we might see them try to get that record again soon, but credit to every single player who was part of that record because it was more than just this one team that we've seen. I mean, this team stretched to people who have graduated the past two years now or something. So I think we have to give a lot of credit. And the last thing I would say on that is let's not forget it from the history books. This needs to be one of the greatest sports moments of all time, and it needs to be talked about. Lauren has her advice of UConn, and my advice tends to be Ronda <laughs> Rousey. And looking back, Ronda Rousey, she was supposed to return and have this great return fight back in December against Amanda Nunez, and it didn't happen. She got knocked out in 48 seconds, and it was, what did I just watch? <laughs> been so hyped about this, and it didn't happen. But, I mean, even though Ronda Rousey failed to return, I think it gives us the look and you have to take a step back that she's probably not going to come back from the sport and I think I finally come to terms with that because I mean even Dana White's like I don't think she's coming back. Right. She's not. He said that multiple occasions. But even when something like this happens you have to take a look because Ronda Rousey was like a pioneer for women in the MMA and like in UFC and that kind of thing. She was the one that went to Dana White and was like I'm going to be your first female fighter and he was like okay all right, good one and then um, they uh, I mean, she she did all this amazing stuff. It led to all these things. It, re- it led to getting women in the UFC. So, I mean, yeah. even if she doesn't come back, you have to step back and say, like, thanks, Rhonda, for all that you've done for the sport. Another thing that came out of the UFC this season was they introduced the featherweight title for women. And it was Holly Holm mm-hmm. and Chris Cyborg uh, going at it. And that one was even really good. Or it wasn't Chris Cyborg. It was Jermaine Duranime. Because right. they offered it to Cyborg, and Cyborg was like, nah. And they were like, well, we're going to go to someone else. And she was like, why? I wanted to do that. And it was like, ah. Oh. Like, Because <laughs> she would still have to drop all that weight to that right. was the issue. It was going to be difficult for her to do it. Ah, that's right. Okay. It was Holly Holm and Jermaine Duranime. That was, that was the big one. That was, it was a really good year for women in the UFC. A lot of ups and downs. But, I mean, even the addition of a, a title was something huge. Now, if you look at other leagues... Yes. It didn't really happen like that. No, and I think this is one of the biggest stories that maybe wasn't as talked about as it probably should have been on least a massive scale. On like a mass media scale? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. The NWHL. Right. The little league that could and then didn't at one point almost thought we would never see it again. Um, You know, all their troubles with the lawsuit, with slicing those salaries, with no worrying to players, not communicating with players, really showing what you should not do when you're a new league or when you're a league period. And I think, I mean, this was covered within our sports world, um, but 
really wasn't covered as big as it should have been even within ESPNW. And this is where a league failed its players. That simple. I mean, that is what we saw. This should be everywhere. Why are we not talking about this on the front page of homepage of ESPN, of these major networks saying, hey, this league is failing their athletes. These athletes, it's not an issue of women not getting paid enough. It's an issue of this league is not taking care of their athletes because they don't have the money and the funds because they made mistakes. I think a lot of that comes from they didn't really have a tie to a men's league. You look yeah. at the WNBA, and they're they're anchored to the NBA. Anything happens, the NBA is going down with them. As far as the NWHL, I think the problem there was it wasn't attached to the NHL. If if it one day, if Danny Ryling could get the NHL to get on board with this, it'll be so much stronger. You'll see more than four teams. You'll see it come out of the upper East Coast. You'll see it start to venture out. West. I'm not saying we're going to have an NWHL team right here in Phoenix playing right. at Talking Stick Arena or something. That's just crazy to think of right now. But, you know, there was talks of expansion at the, at the end of last season, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure those are going to happen now. They can barely hang on to the teams they have right now. If they can't keep these four teams, and you saw players drop off uh, right after they announced it, they kind of cascaded away, and they were like, oh, no, it's for other reasons, but you, you knew yeah. it was because of this um so that was a big thing in women's hockey one last thing note on that i think that it does bring up that conversation of okay how do we get more opportunities for women to play professionally and get paid because there's still a lot of sports that women can't get paid for in these professional leagues and so it's like Why are we, this is kind of that point where, okay, let's discuss. How do we attach these leagues to other leagues like the men's leagues? That's, I think, important to do, like you said. That bridges really nicely into our next point, which is when USA Women's Hockey, the national team, went up against USA Hockey and threatened to boycott world championships if they weren't going to get their salaries and their contracts negotiated fairly and more on par with the men's teams and led by this team of women they went down to the wire on this they didn't start training camp until two or three days before world championships begun but they got the salary negotiation done they have uh, perks on the contracts that are similar to the men's teams now and this team turned around and won the world championships that was like the icing on the cake yeah. for this to happen. And I said it when the contract negotiations were going on. If they somehow managed to pull out these contract negotiations before World Championships, which they did, if they can turn around and win the World Championships, that is going to be such a in-your-face USA Hockey, look what you were doing to us type thing. And right. they did just that. And that was so huge for them. I just remember reading the final score and just smiling. And, like, even watching their game against, I think it was Germany, mm-hmm. they, like, shut them out, like, 11 to nothing or yeah. I think the final score was. Yeah, we were on the air that night that it happened. And, and it I was mean, just like, huh. And you didn't want to pay these ladies? Like, really? When does the men team go, men's team go out and do that kind of yeah. thing? And, I mean, what they did is... Another in-your-face to U.S. hockey was that they were like, okay, hey, you're going to go try to get these, you know, D3 college players, players who you normally would think would want that opportunity. No, this is an issue. We are going to take a stand. Everyone took a stand against U.S. hockey. This wasn't just a few players. This wasn't just, you know, the team. This was every hockey player in the country pretty much and this was everyone even men's hockey players and then you had women's soccer players who you know they weren't able to really do the same but now they're empowered and this was such a historic moment that what they were able to do because it's unprecedented that they were able to 
you know, have that much support from other players saying, no, I'm not going to play because you need to pay your players. They reached out to those D3 and college athletes, I mean, and, like, the people on the U18 teams and whatever, yeah. and they only got enough people to field a line. You can't play a World of Championships no. with a line. And to those girls, like, that was their choice to accept and right. say, if if it comes around, I, I will be there. I will suit up. Like, that. that is a really tough decision, like, in your face uh, to say, like, there's these women that are fighting to put the sport like in a better position do you take the spot and kind of say like eh, it doesn't really affect me but in the long run it does affect you because if someone doesn't stand up history's just going to keep repeating itself yeah and this is hopefully i think we're going to see in these next few months also help the situation with u.s women's national team we've already seen that kind of help a couple other leagues i mean this was a pivotal moment it might not have felt like it to maybe outside of you and me like outside of our little sports world here but i think this moment is going to be more pivotal than we could ever imagine it will we're going to move off the ice into the court. One of the big things that happened at the college level was this year was Stanford's head coach, Tara Vanderveer. She hit 1,000 wins this year. Yeah. That was incredible. She is only one of three coaches to have that now. I really like that you included this in here because um, you put this one on the list. And I really like that because I kind of like it happened and I was like, yay, excited in the moment. It was a big moment when it happened, but kind of forgot about it a little bit after, I think, um, especially of all the other stuff going on with college basketball and WNBA and so it kind of just got pushed to the back there but this was so historic because you're right she's like the third person to do this she's right behind Pat Summit and Coach K from Duke yeah I mean those are two of the all-time greatest coaches those are the two you think of and she's right up with there and I think she deserves a lot more respect than maybe she gets sometimes I mean people when you say women's college basketball coach I think a lot of people think of Gino but you really should be thinking of Tara Vanderveer you should and that's why we included it also another thing that happened that was big this year was the LA Sparks took out the defending Minnesota Lynx champions and this hurts Lauren a little bit because she's a Minnesota Lynx fan because of all the UConn players yes. on that team but how they did it. The games in that, it was like the best WNBA finals I had seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. It was the first time you had that new playoff format where it was going to five games. Right. And you had that bracket system down the line where it was switching things up and everything. Um, and just to watch them. I mean, the first game ended on a buzzer beater. Yeah. Not want to be a bit like buzzer beater. Crazy. I mean, let's talk about the conversations that were had the next 24 hours after that final game. Do you play the last minute 15 seconds of that game? Like, what happens? Because the refs messed up. Like, what do you do? It's kind of, it was such a, one, I think the new format was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Two, it showed just all of the talent in the WNBA. That's exactly how you want a championship Um you know, series to go. And then three, it brought up these conversations about replays, about refs, about, you know, things that we have on the men's side a lot, but let's bring that into the women's side. Let's try to make this game better by having those conversations. Right. One of the final things on here, we're going to have to cut ourselves short on this one because it is a huge topic and it propelled, it propelled a lot of what we talked about the first couple months on the show this year. And that was the Olympics this year. You had... To keep the theme of basketball, you had the U.S. women's national basketball team go on to win six straight mm -hmm. uh, Olympic gold medals at the Olympics. You had swimmers like Katie Ledecky, Simone Manuel, breaking records. Katie Ledecky just went out there and shattered the competition. Gymnasts like Simone Biles, the... Um, Allie Raisman. Yep. 
Of the whole gymnastics The whole team. final five. Yeah. They were incredible. You had women's teams performing way better than men's. You had women earning more medals than the men <laughs> on the U.S. <laughs> That's still one of my all-time favorite stats, is that, like, they would have placed, what, tied with Great Britain if yeah. the U.S. women were a team of their own. Yeah, if they were a team of their own, they would have ranked in, like, the top ten or something. Yeah. <laughs> if they were their own country, <laughs> this is what would happen. But, I mean, there was just so many great moments. The top five teams were all, like, you know, they do all these honors and awards. All the nominated teams were women's teams. Um, you know, they really were, and that's for most countries. The women just performed fantastically at the Olympics. And I think also with that, the Paralympics. We had the, oh, the Mick um, spot. It's the... I keep forgetting the name, but it was, like, the three players who all had the, uh, three racers who all had the Mick in their last name and all went to the same oh. university in college, and they um, each took a podium spot in two races. I mean, you just had, Tatiana McFadden was one of those. Yeah. You had these amazing athletes also at the Paralympics, and it was just, I think it was a great way to showcase women in sports and showcase what we can do on a, on a world scale. I think you're definitely right on that. And, I mean, the Olympics is always such a special time because that's really when the uh, women's sports really come into the scene then. Mm -hmm. um, so to, you know, have that kind of thing is uh, is really great to put the sport in the spotlight. It was Tatiana McFadden, Chelsea McClammer, and Amanda McGrory. They all went to the University of Illinois. Yeah. It was, the, was, it was the McSweep. The McSweep. That's, that's what, what it was. was. I loved the McSweep. It was great because it happened twice. Who like that never happens. Yeah. Yeah. Who does that? Well, that's kind of a short recap. There's a lot more we could talk about. Right. Those are some of our favorite moments of the year. We will be back with your Women Warrior of the Week, some tweets, and then, you know, we'll wrap things up. <laughs> You're listening to Double Exports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. Keep it here. Welcome back to Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. I'm Casey Demarest, alongside, last time on air, Lauren Hornberger. We have got to stop saying that. It's funny, though, because this is actually your last time on it air. Is. This is your last segment. This is your last, well, like... Well, I have... Yeah, it is my last. No, but, like, when you sign off next time, it'll be, okay. it'll be the last we're going to keep off. going here, because we're not getting... We're still 13 minutes away from that point. So, should we get to our Woman Warrior of the Week? I think we should. Our Woman Warrior of the Week is... Tatiana Malga, we mentioned her name earlier in the show. She got drafted six overall in the NPF draft. She's from Arizona. But what she did this weekend, she broke U of A's career home record run. And she is also now in the uh, top for the um, career home run NCAA leaders of all time. So she is with 88 career home runs. That ranks her third behind Lauren Chamberlain from Oklahoma with 95. That's your um, rec That's your record holder right now and then Stacy Newman from UCLA with 90 so she's only um seven away from tying Lauren Chamberlain and with that and I mean this team's gonna make a run in the in the World Series so there's plenty of games left for her to 
get that opportunity. I think interesting enough after that is at, in, in fourth through sixth on this list, they're all Arizona players too. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. It's, you know, you have Laura Espinosa, Leah Bratt, Stacey Chambers, um, and they're all right at like 85 and 87. But congrats to Katiana. Uh, we will be watching her to see if she can break that record. Right. We're going to move on to Tweets of the Week. This is the time of the show where we like to plug our social media. Follow us on Twitter at Double X Sports and on Facebook. Uh, our first Tweet of the Week comes from the San Antonio Stars. When at Kelsey Plum 10 helps out with the t-shirt toss, hashtag Spurs family. And as you guys know, uh, Kelsey Plum just drafted to uh, the San Antonio Stars. Um, and she was at the Spurs game. To, for them to be like, check out your new WNBA player, number one in the draft, woo. And they let her throw out T-shirts, and she has got a cannon. Let me tell yeah. you, this girl can shoot a basketball, but she can throw a T-shirt. It is, like, into the upper part of the lower deck. Get her on a football team. There was a tweet that someone was, like, at Browns, Cardinals, listed off a couple of their NFL teams, are looking at her as a backup. And it was, like, number – I was telling Lauren before the show, because the NFL draft's going on right now. It's, mm-hmm. like, number one the WNBA draft, number one in the NFL draft. Like, <laughs> this girl's got an arm. Like, I've never seen someone throw a T-shirt like that. T-shirt cannons can't even yeah, do that kind no. of damage. She No need for a T-shirt cannon if you got Kelsey Plum. The best part is they do it in slow motion in this video, too. <laughs> So that's Kelsey Plum. That's that. Next tweet of the week. This comes from Shelly Smith, Shelly ESPN. Uh, two years ago, no worries about the wind. Two years later, cancer free. Yay! That's so inspiring because we follow Shelly Smith while she's gone through cancer treatment, and to be cancer free, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Next tweet of the week comes from Sun Devil Beach Volleyball. We talked about this earlier in the show, but congrats to Whitney Follett for earning her program best 60th win this afternoon. It marks her 60th career win in the most in program history, and as a senior, she's got it going on. Next tweet of the week comes from the LPGA. This pairings party view. It's a little fire emoji and the hard eyes emoji. Um, So they got to have dinner on the Dallas Cowboys field. That's pretty cool. Just casual. The best part about this video is it pans up to the massive screen they have inside AT&T Stadium. They're like under it and you're just like, oh Oh. my god. (laughs) Okay, it's really that big. Next tweet of the week comes from Excel Sports. Hashtag WNBA. ESPN will broadcast 16 games in the entire postseason of 2017 play. Yes! So excited for ESPN to start picking up more WNBA games and to broadcast the whole postseason is About huge, time. too. Because whenever I want to watch WNBA, I have to log on to League Pass. Yep. It's a really good deal, but to be able to like turn on the TV and watch it is even better. Agreed. Next tweet comes from ESPNW. Looks like Danica Patrick can officially be a superhero. So she's going to have a Wonder Woman paint scheme on her car for two races. This is really cool because it has, like, the Wonder Woman logo and then um, the character from the upcoming movie on the side of the car. It's really cool. I really like it. Last tweet of the week for the semester for Lauren comes from Michelle Vopel. Enjoyed chatting with at Brianne January and at Pokey Chapman. Fever will be seeking 13th consecutive WNBA playoff berth. And it's a really interesting article, so give it a read, talking about Brianne January filling the shoes of Tamika Catchings. Because we always talked, who's going to take on this role after Tamika leaves? And Brianne's the most tenured player on this team right. now. She is. She has the most experience out of anybody on this Fever roster, so they're going to look to her uh, for leadership on this team. That is all we have for Treats of the Week. We're going to take a really quick break, and then we will be back, and I will have one final Lauren's Corner, and then we will wrap things up. You're listening to Double X Sports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com, your local student station.
Welcome back to Double Exports on Blaze Radio, blazeradioonline.com. I'm Casey Demarest alongside Lauren Hornberger. And as promised, Lauren's final sign-off. We're going to end it with a Lauren's Corners. Take it away. Yes. So it has been wonderful being able to talk women's sports these last two years. Um, I can't believe it's been that long. But a couple of things that I want to leave us off on. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, thinking about this last show and what I would say and kind of how we started from the beginning and where we are now. And women's sports alone in the last two years has come a long way. I mean, the last couple of decades, last 10 years. Um, there's a lot that we can talk about the progress, and the progress is great, but there's still a lot of things that we have left to do, and I kind of wanted to take this moment to address those and really say that this isn't the end of you know, talking women's sports. We need to keep talking women's sports. And I've noticed in the last couple of months, especially with the NCAA tournament, how it's not necessarily an issue with women's sports being broadcasted. Yes, that is an issue, and that's a whole other thing that we can talk about forever, and we have talked about it a lot. But what it really is is that society thinks that we as that women's sports um, are, you know, maybe that women just don't have all the same opportunities as men do and that we're still in this mindset that we that women aren't going to have that same competitiveness, that women aren't going to play in the same tournaments as men, that women can't do the same things as men. And while we have changed that a lot in society, it's still something that is ingrained. And what I've noticed that until we change that, we're not going to get, you know, the level that we want to be at for women's sports. And I noticed this when it was at the NCAA tournament. I was talking to some people who aren't into sports, and I was telling them, yeah, you know, and the women's side because anytime the men's side's up you know we gotta mention hey did you know that this was happening on the women's side just trying to get it out there and so people know that it's happening and several people told me that they didn't think there was a women's tournament the, the, the women just don't have the same opportunity to compete as men. And yes, in some cases, they don't. I mean, women still don't get paid for the same things that men do. But the fact that we can think that women can't play in a tournament, don't have that end-of-season stuff, that is the real issue. Because it wasn't that people weren't turning into the broadcast. That was the most watched women's tournament for uh, basketball for the NCAA specifically in ESPN history. That was one of the most watched sporting events that they've had recently. That beat W... Uh, NBA games that beat things that you normally think have large audiences. So the audience is there, but it's about reaching that audience. And so what I challenge here is I want everyone to, you know, you listen to us, but keep women's sports kind of always there. And I think that's something that we need to keep doing. We need to always be saying, you know, hey, if men's sports come up in the conversation, if it's college basketball, if it's baseball, say, hey, did you know this happened in softball? Did you know this? You know, the women's team, they're really awesome too. Or you know, the women have struggled, but they're trying to rebuild. Just mention it, because the more that we can mention women's sports in normal conversations, the more that we can bring this into society, that we can make this something that's ingrained in our society, and then companies like ESPN and people who tweet at ESPN saying, hey, people aren't going to watch women's sports. You can't argue against that. You know, we need to keep it there and I think it's just something that we need to focus on the stories and so I challenge everyone listening to just keep listening to Casey because she will continue talking women's sports keep following women's sports because there are some things that we 
we haven't even reached the surface of what women in sports can do. And the young talent coming up needs to be seen, needs to be heard, and we have that ability to help do that. So that's kind of what I'm going to wrap on. I am getting teary-eyed now. I think it happened. Um, Casey's just staring at me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Lauren's knowledge bomb. That's all I got. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I would just like to say thank you to everyone at The Blaze. I can't. Oh, we've got tears. Casey's crying. It's coming for me as well. But this has been an amazing four years at Blaze. Um, being able to cover WNBA, Pac-12, softball, um, being able to work with Casey and get women's sports on the air. This is something that when it happened, we didn't think we would be able to do this. This was an idea at, like, midnight one night that just kind of happened. It was. We were sitting in that study room in Taylor Place, and we were like, wait, what if we did this? And we were like, that's crazy. But look how far we've come. And, I mean, we, when we first started doing this, I was trying to look up others, and we couldn't find an all-women's sports show talking women's sports. And that's why I urge everyone to keep listening to women's sports to talk about it, because it's important to have people, like, you know, in these positions and... I thank everyone for giving us this opportunity, and thank you, Casey, for coming on this ride with me um, and for doing this. And I think you all will be in fantastic hands with Casey and Double X Sports. For one last time this semester, for Lauren Hornberger, I'm Casey Demarest. This has been Double X Sports. Have a great rest of the weekend. Have a great summer. I'll be back here in the fall with Double X Sports. Um, and follow us on social media in the meantime. And like Lauren said, keep listening to all those double or keep listening to all those women's sports. You've got WNBA coming up. But for Lauren Hornberger, I'm Casey Demarest. Thanks for tuning in.